This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. So let's look at 1 Peter. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. I'm sorry. Yeah, 1 through 5. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Your word is the very thing which brings us life. Your word has, has taken root in our hearts and opened our eyes, caused us to see. It's, it's what you have used to bring us from darkness into the light. And Father, I pray this morning that you would open our eyes as we sang and open our ears that we might see you and your glory on your pages of your book. And Lord, that we would hear the voice of the shepherd speaking to us. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. I pray that you would use me, that you would give me strength and grace as I preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We know about Peter, right? Peter, he was the disciple who said, you know, you are the Christ, right? You, he's the one, he was the first one to make that confession that Jesus was the Christ. And, and Peter turned, uh, Jesus turned around and said, you know, you are upon, you know, you're Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church. And we can debate about, you know, what, what the rock is. And I'm not going to, that's not really my point. But basically, Peter had, had kind of a, a high place among the disciples, right? And, and he's, he's saying he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's, he's one of these officers of the early church, one of these 12, um, of course, 12 might be a little bit disputed because you had Judas there and Matthias was taking his place. And then we got a, a Paul as well that's an apostle. But still, there, it's this office among the early church that was one, ones who were sent to speak Jesus' message. Uh, they, they spoke on the authority of Jesus Christ. And so when, when Peter identifies himself here as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's telling us, I'm here giving you what Jesus' message is for you. He's saying, uh, and, and when we hear these words and we read these words, we need to understand this may be written down by Peter, but this is what Jesus wants me to know. Okay? This is what Jesus wants me to know. So he says, to those, okay, and he's, he's stating his audience, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he, he's talking about a scattered church. Um, 
there are different theories about, uh, about this. One is that uh, um, you know, these were Christians that may have been in Rome. Um, Christians that may have been in Rome and, and uh, the, the emperor, um, because of some of the um, controversies that were coming up because of the Christians in Rome, he expelled all the Jews out of Rome and, and including that uh, anyone who was a follower of Jesus. And they went to all these different cities. It's possible that they, they were scattered in that way. But in another sense, um, we can think of the early church, right? In the early church, they all stayed there in Jerusalem. Until persecution came, right? And when persecution came, they were forced to leave Jerusalem and they went to Samaria and they went all around to different places. Uh, and, and we can identify with this as well. We are a scattered church, right? We're not all back in Jerusalem, but we live all over the world in every continent except maybe, well, I'm sure there are believers on Antarctica, right? <laughs> Uh, some scientists doing research or something. But we've, we're on every continent. Um, uh, uh, most countries throughout the world, there are still people groups that are yet to be reached. And I know as a, a church with a heart for missions, you, you, you can understand that. But at the same time, we are a scattered church. Um, and, and just like these early Christians, we, we, can, we should consider ourselves exiles of the dispersion. We're dispersed all over the world. Um, as he's talking to these believers, he calls them two things. He says they're elect and he says they're exiles. I'm going to go in those in, in reverse order. Uh, they're exiles. They're, they're, they're living in a land that is not their home, right? And we can relate to that. You know the old song, I, I'm, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, Right? We know the song. Um, uh, we, we, you know, in, in a sense, we are earthlings. We were made for earth. God, God created the world and everything that's in it. He placed Adam and Eve in a garden that was designed just for them. And, and, and we live in a planet, in a creation that was designed for us to live in. And, and Jesus, because, uh, because He redeemed us and because He is coming back again, there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and this, will, this world will be restored one day, and, and we will live together in this world, in this, this planet, okay, uh, in a restored new heavens and a new earth. But at the same time, right now, as we live, we live in a hostile age, and we are to think of ourselves as strangers, to think of ourselves as angel, uh, aliens. This, this world, in that sense, is not our home. We have a citizenship that's in heaven. Amen. We have a citizenship. Uh, we, we have a king that is coming, and we are like uh, an, an embassy that has, has taken root in this world, and we're waiting for our king to come when we take over, right? And, and, and we live by the rules of our king. So uh, we are exiles. We have come into this. We, we, we live in this world that, that our citizenship is in another kingdom. And, yet, and he also calls these early believers elect. Now, this can be controversial, can't it? No, no, no. There's nothing controversial about talking about the elect, right? Um, no. But it's the word that the Bible uses, and so I need to address it. Um, I just want to say here, and I don't want to get into any physical, philosophical uh, speculations here, but the fact is, God chose us. 
If we're believers, it didn't happen by accident. You know, God, God shows us. There's, there's nobody who, who prays to, to receive Christ in which, which, in which God just says, whoops, I didn't mean for that to happen. Right? <laughs> it, it, it doesn't happen. He chose us. It's a part of His plan. And, and by, speaking to, by talking about uh, these early believers who were living in a hostile world, it should make them feel comforted to know that God chose them. Right? And it ought to do the same for us. We're living in a hostile world. People think if we hold to a biblical standard of morality that we may be bigoted or hateful or something like that. And we just got to remember, you know what? No matter what the world thinks, God chose me. I'm one of His. And and, and so it should be comforting to it. It ought not to be scary to look at that word and, and think, elect. It ought to be comforting to us to think, oh, God chose me. I'm one of His. And then he tells us, so so to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. The first thing I want to notice here is that all three persons of the Trinity were involved in our salvation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have a nice Trinitarian passage here. Um, It was a part of the Father's plan. When He he decided that He was going to save some... This this world that was fallen, we we didn't deserve God's grace, we were were enemies of Him, and God chose, I'm going to save anybody who believes in Me. It was part of His plan. It was, we were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The Father, that was His part in the plan of redemption. He, it was His plan to save us. And then in the sanctification of the Spirit, the Spirit was involved in our salvation in applying salvation to us. Um, he, he, it, it, the sanctification, the word sanctification, we think of that in two senses. One is that, that we are... Um, uh, may, being made holy, that that we're we're uh, becoming more like Jesus. We're growing in Christ likeness. It's it's a uh, um, that moral quality of becoming more and more pure and like Jesus. But at the same time, sanctification and holiness itself is about being set apart. Um, and and what the Holy Spirit has done in the lives of believers as He's plucked us from the world and He set us apart. He's, he's been the one who in our lives, as we were saved, He opened up our eyes. He put new life into us. The Spirit does that work. As we hear the Gospel preached to us, the Spirit comes into our lives. He opens our eyes. He brings life from the dead and He brings us from darkness into light. That is, that is the role of the Spirit in salvation. He sanctifies us. He, he sets us apart. And... For the obedience of Jesus Christ for sprinkling with His blood. There's two aspects here. We only saw one aspect whenever it came to to, um, the Father and the Spirit. But for Jesus, it tells us two different things. For the obedience of Jesus Christ. We weren't saved so that we could just have fire insurance and go on living however we wanted, right? We weren't saved so that we could just... Be forgiven and, and just forget about God. 
But we were saved for the obedience to Jesus Christ. If we've, if we've truly been saved, then He works in us by His Spirit as He sanctifies us and we become obedient to Jesus Christ more and more and more. The purpose for which He saves us wasn't just so that we can live in heaven one day, but it's for obedience to Him. He's calling a people out for Himself in order that we would be obedient citizens of that other kingdom. And also, and for sprinkling with His blood. So, the Father planned our salvation. The Spirit applies it to us as He, as he pulls, plucks us from the world. And, and we are saved what, what made our salvation possible is the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. It was, it was the shedding of His blood. The Old Testament says, without uh, the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And Hebrews says that as well. It was the shed blood of Jesus that bought us. It was the shed blood of Jesus that sprinkled us and washes us clean. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Right? We sing it. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are, you, they, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? It's, it's the death of Jesus and His resurrection that makes our salvation possible. It was the sacrifice in which we could be saved. In which we could be reconciled with God. So all three persons were involved. All three persons of the Trinity were involved in our salvation. And we're just covering the introduction so far. He finally says in his introduction, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace and peace. I don't want to throw away these words. Every word of God is important. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. This letter that we read is about grace. It's about what God has done in our hearts. It's about what God has done to redeem us from this hostile world and from sin. And uh, as grace is multiplied to us, we ought to think on what the Bible teaches about what Jesus did for us. And the more we become aware of what God has done for us in Jesus, the, the, the more we become aware and enthralled with that, that grace is being multiplied to us. And peace. The more we become aware of, of what Jesus has done for us, it ought to bring about a great peace within us. You know, we live in a hostile world. People, people hate us. You know, and Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too, right? So it should become to no surprise to us. And the more we think on the gospel, the more we think about what Jesus has done for us, it ought to bring us peace in the midst of this hostility that we live in. Right? So, now we're turning to what I'm really wanting to spend my time on. <laughs> we're seven, now 19 minutes in. Okay? Well, I'll try not to take forever. How long did Pastor Dave usually preach? 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying here is the point of what we're looking at. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he wants us to praise Him. You know, he, 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 this is, this is a, a, a doxology. He's saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we hear the things he's about to explain that God has done on our behalf, we need to respond with praising. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise him. Amen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why should we praise him? First off. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to take this down word by word. According to His great mercy. He's been merciful to us. You know what mercy is, right? Grace is when we get a gift that we don't deserve, right? And mercy is when we do deserve something He doesn't give us. (laughs) Right? We do deserve His wrath. It's like a little kid who gets away without getting a spanking, right? That's mercy. <laughs> when, when, when we've done something wrong and we deserve punishment and God's wrath, and He is merciful and He doesn't give us what we deserve. According to His great mercy, the mercy of God ought to cause us to say, blessed be God. Praise Him. Hallelujah. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Are you born again? If you're a believer, you better say yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's Jesus, you know, he had this conversation with Nicodemus one night. And Nicodemus asked, you know, what do you got to do to enter the kingdom of God? And, and Jesus tells him, you, you, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus doesn't understand. You know, what, does that, what does that mean? Do I have to go back inside of my mother and be born a second time physically? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You've got to be born both of water and of the Spirit. And uh, scholars d- debate about what exactly that means, but I, I, this is what I'm going to just, just kind of cut to the chase about. It's basically... You've got to be born both spiritually, physically and spiritually. Um, we, 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 <coughs> we have to have a new birth. We've got to become new creatures. Our old man has to die and we've got to be born again. A new life in Christ. So if you're a believer here this morning, maybe you haven't heard this terminology, um, born again. If you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, if you have, have, have been changed by Jesus, if you've been forgiven, then you've been born again. Okay? And, and what, he's, what he's saying here is one of the reasons why we ought to praise God is He has caused us to be born again. Amen? Praise God! He's caused us to be born again. We didn't cause it. He caused us to be born again. He... he He has caused us to be born again. We've become new creatures in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. We've got new life, new spirit. We're like like a newborn baby in Christ. And that ought to cause us to praise Him. Hallelujah. Praise Him. Because we've been, He's been, He's caused us to be born again. And He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. It's not a dead hope. A dead hope might be what the pagans, what what the nations would have. They're hoping in 
They're idols. They're blocks of wood that they carve and Isaiah pokes fun at. Jeremiah pokes fun at. Because nobody... You know, like, like the description in the prophets of, of a man who, who he takes a block of wood and he cuts it in half and with one, he fashions an idol and with the other, he throws it in the fire and warms himself. That's, that's nothing to hope in. That's dead. That's empty. But we have a living hope. We have a living hope. We, we, we have a hope we can count on. It, it won't disappoint us. It's not like uh, all of the other religions of the world. It's not some vain philosophy. It's not just some moral teaching. No, we have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. How can we know that what we believe as Christians is true and it's not what all the, other, all the other religions of the world teach, it's because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. There were eyewitnesses who saw Him. He was really physically dead, and He really physically rose from the dead. He was alive. He was seen by more than 500 people, 1 Corinthians tells us. Uh, he was seen by uh, apost- and, and you know what? Apo- the Apostle Paul, he was a, a persecutor of Christians. He didn't want to see this, uh, this new religion um, take root. But Jesus met him resurrect- in his resurrected form on the road to Damascus. And he was changed from someone who wanted to stamp out Christianity into its greatest missionary ever. Okay? How do we know that our hope is living? That we can depend on it? It's because Jesus physically rose from the dead in space, time, and history. That's how we can have a living hope. That's how we know that what we believe in, when we believe in Jesus, is more reliable than all the other religions of the world. Because Jesus rose from the dead. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance. We will receive an inheritance one day. It's something we are looking forward to. And Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth, right? Uh, believers. I, I, think, I think that's talking about believers. The meek. Believers will inherit the earth. Jesus is going to come again. He's going to, he's going to put all of His enemies under His feet. And as, as believers, we're going to reign with Christ over, over this earth that's been restored and renewed. Okay, And, and so um, it says we have an inheritance that is imperishable. Imperishable. I think about the word perishable and I think of a piece of fruit. Right? And what I've really enjoyed this, this season has been peaches. Okay? We've we got some, some good peaches at, at, at Greenville at Wayne's Market. I don't know if anybody's been there, but uh, they, they've had some great peaches and they're just so juicy and tasty and everything. And oh, I just really enjoyed them. Um, but, uh, but they're perishable. Right? They're perishable. So uh, one day, uh, my daughter was getting one of these peaches that I think were so good and she cuts it open and there was this... Uh, bug that crawls out of it. That's disappointing. Right? It's, it's disappointing. Or, or maybe 
we had so many at one time because not only did we get some from Wayne's Market, but somebody at church gave us a whole bunch. And so we had so many, we just couldn't get eat through them all. And, and then they started to get kind of wrinkly. And I started to taste one. And it was, eh, that's a little bit. They, they, these things were so good. Just, they don't taste quite as good anymore. And they're perishable. But you know what? The inheritance that we have in Jesus is imperishable. It won't go bad. It will always be perfectly satisfying. Just as, as, as it was when we first received it. It is imperishable. That ought to cause us to praise Him, right? That ought to cause us... To, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because His inheritance that He holds for us is imperishable. And it is undefiled. Everything that we experience in this life is defiled. It's been tainted by sin. Death came into the world through sin. And everything has been touched by it. Our relationships have been distorted. And conflict has been brought into relationships because of the fall. Um, Death, sickness, pain... All of those things, every experience we have in this life is tainted by sin and it's been defiled. But oh, that inheritance we have. Not only is it imperishable, but it's undefiled. It's not been tainted by sin. That inheritance we have to look forward to, there will be no death. There will be no sickness. There will be no pain. All of our tears will be washed away, wiped away. No more sin. No more conflict in our relationships. No more division and hostility like we experience on Twitter. But it'll be undefiled and unfading. Oh, and unfading, I think, of two different things. One is a book. Oh, man, I love to get a new book. Anybody love to get a new book? You love to get a new book, and it, it, it's a brand new book, and it, it's, so, it's got a nice shiny cover, and, 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 and all the pages are nice and crisp, and it may even smells good, right? And, and you love it so much, you just read it, and you read it, and you read it, and maybe you read it multiple times, and after a while, the, the binding isn't quite as... It, it begins to maybe fall apart as, as you read it, and, and, uh, and maybe you leave it out in the sun, and the cover begins to fade... But oh, the inheritance we have, it is unfading. It won't fade. It is, it is, uh, it is going to be just as, as exciting and new on the 1,000th year, on the 1 millionth and the 1 billionth year of worshiping Jesus forever than it is the moment we first receive it. It's unfading. And for time's sake, I'll skip my other illustration. Kept in heaven for you. It is imperishable. It's not going to go bad. It is undefiled. It's not been tainted by sin. It is unfading. It's, it's never going to, we're never going to get tired of it. And it's kept in heaven for you. Two things here. It's kept in heaven. Nobody can touch it. The things we have in this earth, uh, you know, it's those things that, that moth and rust can destroy, like Jesus said. It's the things where thieves can break in and steal, but our inheritance that we have is kept in heaven. Hallelujah. 
That ought to cause us to praise Him, right? It's kept in heaven. Nobody can touch it. It's safe with Him. And I love this. I don't want to throw away that next two words. It's kept in heaven for you. (laughs) If you're a believer, if you've been born again, it's kept in heaven for you. It's got your name on it. Right? It's kept in heaven for you. And that ought to cause us to praise Him. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith. Here's another aspect. He's caused us to be born again, and that ought to cause us to praise Him. He's got an inheritance that's waiting for us that is, it is astoundingly wonderful and beautiful, and we will never get tired of it. And also, we, that's, that's the who, is, are kept by God's power. We might think, well, yeah, that's wonderful. I have an inheritance that's kept in heaven for me, but I don't know how strong I am. I don't know if I can withhold, withstand this hostile environment that we live in as believers. I, I, I don't know how long I can hold on. With people the way they are, and, and they want to call me a bigot because I believe what the Bible says about sexual ethics and all these different things. How long can I hold on? Well, it doesn't depend on you. It depends upon God, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You may feel weak. You may feel like, I don't even know if I have a mustard seed of faith today. I don't know how long I can keep on. You can remember... It's not about you holding on. It's about Him holding on to you. You you are being kept by His power. And that ought to cause us to praise Him. You're being kept by His power. There's nothing more powerful than God. You're being kept by His power, being guarded through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed. That, That guarded, it has the idea of putting a garrison of soldiers all around. And God is guarding you like that. He's not going to let anything, uh, though you feel weak, though you feel tired, though you feel like you just can't keep going on in the Christian life, He will hold you fast. He will keep you. He will guard you through faith. Like I said, you may just feel like I don't even have a mustard seed of faith today. I just don't know how long I can keep going on. But He keeps to giving it. He keeps giving it. He'll give you the faith. When you feel like you just can't keep going on, He'll give you the faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. This salvation, this inheritance, this we will receive it in the last time uh, the Bible talks about salvation in three different senses, you know. We have been saved in the past. He, in what Jesus did on the cross, He saved us. Right? When, when I, when, and when I trusted in Jesus, when, when, I, when I threw myself upon Him, when I, when I first was born again, He saved me. Past tense. And, and the Bible also speaks in the sense of it being an ongoing process. He's saving us. 
And there's a future sense. On that day, one day, when He comes again, the veil is ripped away and it will be revealed. When we didn't feel like maybe we had enough faith, when we didn't feel like maybe we were when we had our doubts about ourselves, He's going to reveal. He's going to tear the veil away. And we'll see all along we've been real. That ought to cause us to praise Him. Hallelujah. That ought to cause us to praise Him. And it's ready. It's a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. It's ready now. Right? It's ready now. It's, it's already been accomplished. Jesus died for our sins. He's actually caused us to be born again. He's, he's, re, he's applied salvation by the Holy Spirit. We have been washed free from our sins. We've been, we've been cleansed. We, have, we can have a clean conscience because we know that we have been forgiven and, and, and sanctified. It's ready. But there will come a day whenever He will... Pull the veil away and we will see clearly the things that we right now can only dream about. Believers, that ought to cause us to praise Him. That ought to cause us to praise Him. That ought to cause us to shout, Hallelujah! Because He's caused us to be born again. He's got an inheritance that's waiting for us and He keeps us by His very power. Hallelujah. If there's anybody here that's not a believer yet, who hasn't yet trusted in Jesus, oh, the sweet picture that I've I've explained about what Jesus has done for us, how we can have forgiveness of sins, how we can be washed clean, how we can have a new life, a clean slate. Oh, come to Jesus. Walk away from that old life. Trust in Jesus You don't have to clean yourself up first to become acceptable to God. No, you just throw yourself on Him and He washes you clean. He changes you from the inside out. If you're not a believer here today, you can trust in Him today. So we're going to sing an invitation hymn. Um, whether you're a believer who just needs to come and pray and thank God for the wonderful things that He's done in Jesus, or whether you're somebody who, who you've heard this and you think, I want that, you can come today and receive it.